Hi, you're listening to the Tominist Podcast here. This time I'm interviewing David Ruffley, MP for Bury St Edmunds. The shortness of the interview meant that I couldn't ask all of the questions I wanted to, and there were some sound disturbances, again, which is incredibly annoying, but you get used to it. Um, enjoy. Remember, he's a politician, so the answers he gives are quite... Um... Well, you'll see what I mean. Thanks, and I'll see you on the other side. So, hi, this is another interview. Um, I'm Tom Innes, obviously, and I'm here with David Ruffley, MP. Hello, David. How are you doing, Tom? I'm fine, thank you. Um, so we'll start off quite quickly. What do you do? Would you like to explain to the listener your job and your role, please? I'm the Member of Parliament for Bury St Edmunds. I'm one of over 650 MPs who represent uh, their areas in the United Kingdom Parliament. I've been doing it since 1997, and I think it's the best job in the world. Oh, fantastic. So that leads very nicely on to my next question as to why you went into politics. A lot of it is to do with the way you're brought up. So some people go into politics because, you know, their, their fathers or their grandfathers were uh, MPs and things like that. Um, I didn't have that kind of uh, in uh, into politics. Um, my background was really one of public service. On my mother's side, she was from a, a long line of uh, vicars of uh, Church of England and Church of Ireland uh, clergymen. And on my father's side, uh, he was a soldier and then a local government officer, uh, a, a chief executive of a council. So he wasn't a politician, but he was one of the guys who uh, managed uh, councils across Britain, but he also for a time was uh, the chief executive of the council uh, over in uh, mid-Suffolk when it was called the Gipping Rural District Council. And what I absorbed from my father, who was in local government, and uh, my mother's father, who was a, a Church of England canon, was that one of the most interesting, satisfying, rewarding things you can do in life uh, is to fix things that are going wrong in society and help people. Um, And uh, that is always the way I thought I wanted to spend my working life, to uh, improve things, uh, make things better. Um, I've never been motivated by uh, hard cash and money. Uh, I, when I left university, having done a degree in history and uh, law, um, uh, I was actually earning more money uh, 15 years ago uh, than I do now. And, uh, uh, you know, if I'd wanted to become wealthy, and this is true of many politicians, you, you don't become an MP because compared with uh, the, the alternative careers one could have pursued, public service is not hugely well paid. But you do public service, not for the money, but because you think it's worthwhile. And that's the category I fit into. So you're one of the politicians who are there because you believe that you can make a difference? I do. I think that's not a bad way of putting it. And there are also, however, some people who go into politics to be somebody or those who go into politics to do something. And I went into politics to do something rather than be somebody. Uh, The job I do uh, as a senior uh, backbench in the House of Commons uh, is hugely diverse. Uh, 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 there's a different problem, a set of problems every day of the week, which makes it fascinating. Uh, and one has the real ability, particularly at the local level, to change what goes on. And I wouldn't do any other job at all. Oh. It's the best job in the world. Fantastic. So, um, 
You mentioned that your family live in Suffolk and have helped Suffolk through public services. Is that why you chose Bury St Edmunds or have you had any affinity? Well, my, 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 uh, my father um, was uh, in the late 1960s uh, a local government officer in, uh, in Needham Market, as it turned out, which is now part of my constituent constituency but that's a complete coincidence there's no connection he, he moved around the country and uh, uh, went worked for different councils right across the country and ended up in uh, uh, North Lancashire um, just south of the Lake District and um, uh, the decision to uh, represent uh, Barry Sedmans in Suffolk uh, was mine and mine alone my family hadn't lived here for quite a while uh, I was educated at uh, Cambridge and I spent four years uh, doing my degree and uh, got to uh, see East Anglia again, so in other words, my late teens, early 20s, uh, and found myself spending a lot of time in Suffolk when I, uh, I wanted time out from, uh, away from Cambridge. And, uh, you know, temperamentally, I think it is... Uh, very aesthetically pleasing to me. Uh, I mean, I love the Suffolk countryside, the Suffolk coast, and the whole of East Anglia. So, you know, if, if you ask me, where, you know, where, where would you like to live, uh, retire, or if you weren't a politician, where would you live? I would live in Suffolk. Um, I, I, places in the rest of the country don't grab me at all. Um, I think... Uh, the West Country is too far away. Um, I think Surrey is just too congested. There are too many people. I think that is true of Berkshire. There, 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 is, there is not any part of the country, in, certainly in southern or eastern England, where you get, uh, first of all, all the modern amenities. I think Barry St Edmunds uh, combines the best of the old with the new. Um, it's moved forward with uh, great new retail development so that the, uh, the economy of Bury continues to thrive. We bring in visitors, and uh, the art development has done that. We've also got the history, the marvellous Georgian architecture, the marvellous cathedral. Um, uh, you know, I think Bury has has got it all, and it's not been spoilt by overdevelopment like so many mm. other, you know, very good, formerly very good market county towns have just been ruined by development. So, I think uh, Bury St Edmunds and Suffolk as a county tick all the boxes for me, and it, it really uh, dates from when I returned to Suffolk uh, and East Anglia, rather, uh, when I was a student, and I'm glad that when the opportunity came up, there was a vacancy uh, when I was 33 years of age. They said, who wants to be the MP for Barry St Edmunds? And there were about 250 applicants to become the Conservative candidate. Uh, and uh, there were knockout rounds and the, over two or three week period. And I thought each time, you know, I was told I was too young and, uh, you know, uh, 33 <laughs> and that, and that uh, this amazing seat, Barry St Edmunds, would go to someone more experienced. And to my great surprise, but also my very great pleasure, uh, I won all those knockout rounds, beating 250 people, which enabled me to fight the 1997 general election. And uh, uh, that was the landslide victory for Tony Blair, 
uh, when uh, it was huge victory for the Labour Party and uh, the Tory Party had been in power 18 years. People were fed up with us, mm. and uh, I, I thought we would be in opposition uh, when I fought the election for the first time in '97. I, I, I thought I'd win here, but I thought the Tory Party would lose. I was right, but I didn't understand how badly. Uh, we would be beaten by Blair so that we were uh, really you know, out, out of contention to form a government for well over 10 years. And in the end, it took, uh, it took 13 years to recover from that, vict- uh, that, that Labour victory. But in those 13 years, it has enabled me to learn my craft, uh, how to be a good parliamentarian in the sense that you learn all the tricks to get the best deal for your constituency uh, and for your county. So those uh, years in opposition, I think, were well spent, certainly from my point of view. Cool. Um, On the mention of your constituency, that will lead me to my first question asked by a constituent. Um, Guy Robertson, he actually came to see you on the day of the student protest, and he bought a petition of 200 signatures with it. And he would like to ask, and I'm quoting here, why did you disregard, he's quite blunt, why did you disregard a petition of over 200 signatures about the tuition fee, opting instead to vote in favour of it? The very simple reason that um, MPs are representatives, not delegates, uh, which isn't that they're not mandated to do any one particular thing. What they have to do is weigh up... uh, what you think is in the interests of the, in my case, 85,000 constituents uh, in the Bury St Edmunds uh, constituency. Uh, so the... Um, do you want to... No, no, it's fine, it's fine. Yeah. Um, uh, and if you think about it, it, it's obvious, isn't it, that no MP, whoever they are, whatever political party they're in, can ever be said to be representing the views of 100% of the people, in my case, 85,000 constituents. You know why? Because 85,000 people, uh, if asked a view... There's going to be variation. There's going to be variation. And my assessment uh, was that whilst there is a lot of strength of feeling about tuition fees, and I understand that, and certainly it's tragic when one hears stories... Um, uh, of although I've not met anyone in this category, I'm told uh, that uh, other MPs have heard stories of uh, 17, 18 year olds saying we'd love to go to university, but we don't want the amount of debt. They're, they're scared off from going on to higher education. That's tragic, but there is a reason why um, the last government, as well as this government, uh, believed that tuition fees were necessary. It's not ideology. It's because. Um, It is the only way to fund the huge increase in the number of places at higher education establishments. Compared with 20 years ago, there's been a huge increase. Now, that increase costs money. It's got to come from somewhere. And if you look at what other countries in the world, uh, not right-wing governments, but in Australia, in uh, France, Germany, uh, Italy, it's not just America, it's lots of big industrialised countries... Uh, uh, we're amazed that Britain did not ask for a contribution from the students who were going to benefit from a uh, degree and a university education. So we are really coming in line with what most of the Western world are doing in asking for a contribution from students who, let's remember, will on average, if they have a degree, uh, be earning hundreds of thousand pounds more in their lifetime 
uh, of working um, than those who are not graduates. <coughs> um, and therefore, because they're going to be receiving a huge economic benefit in terms of the higher salaries they'll get, it's only reasonable to ask them to make a contribution. Now, I, I think that logic... Um, uh, was not accepted by the 200 people in the petition you referred to. But let me tell you, it is more than uh, uh, supported by the huge numbers of taxpayers who say, uh, I've never gone to university, my kids will never go to university, they, they don't want to go to university. Why should we as taxpayers fund increasing amounts of taxes for higher education and the people who are benefiting from these degrees are not paying towards uh, their education? We, the general taxpayer, having to shell out. General taxpayers think students should pay a contribution, and that's why I voted the way I did. Okay. There's so many questions sparked off the back of that, but again, I'm conscious of time. So um, I will move on to the next thing. And I'd quite like a... Um, in a really weird sense, because I know I've come to you as a um, Member of Parliament, but I'd kind of like a non-Member of Parliament answer to this, and I mm -hmm. appreciate if you are bound by laws and so forth. But what are your views on this coalition? I think uh, David Cameron had a uh, choice to make when he failed to win the general election, or more particularly the Conservative Party. Uh, we got the biggest number of seats, but we didn't have enough seats to form an overall government. He could have decided, nevertheless, to form a Conservative minority government for a short period to take the decisions that needed to be taken on the economy uh, and get the economy sorted, but to do that from a minority position. Uh, or he could do what he chose to do, which was to uh, knock together a coalition with uh, Nicholas Clegg. Um, now, uh, I wish I had a video of your face. The, it was quite the, 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 the fact remains uh, is that it is a coalition government with all the compromises uh, that that entails. Um, I think um, a lot of the decisions that have been uh, made uh, do smack of compromise. It's neither one thing nor the other. But I will give the coalition credit for one thing, and even just to show I'm a broad-minded, you know, reasonable bloke, uh, I would give the Liberal Democrats some credit for the following thing, which is to uh, take uh, the lowest paid people out of tax. So the lowest paid, uh, the lowest incomes for those working people, you know, typically under, you know, 10 grand a year. We've taken more of that uh, category of people earning less than £10,000 a year out of tax. We've still got to uh, 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 reduce uh, the taxation for those people, so that the first ten thousand pounds of income for the very i e the very poorest people in society attracts no tax at all and I think that uh, tax cuts for the low paid before we start cutting tax for anybody else companies or uh, middle income people I think was a very good thing it was good economically because it incentivizes people by and large people work harder if they know that for every pound they earn they 're not going to be taxed so much. Uh, but also I think it's the right thing to do, putting money in the pockets of those least well-off. And that was a very good tax measure that both uh, Mr Clegg and Mr Cameron uh, agreed upon, and that has, uh, 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 that has set the pattern, I hope, for future budgets when the economy can afford it, to when we do make cuts in taxation, which is economically beneficial. It's economically beneficial for the least well-off. Yeah. 
Okay, cool. Thank you. But I, I think just as I mentioned other things where there was a fudge and a muddle, uh, I, I think Europe, the policy on Europe uh, is a, a compromise that is not working. Uh, Cameron, broadly Eurosceptic. Nick Clegg, broadly pro-European. And as a result, we're not getting clear messages on where Britain uh, should be looking to reform our relations with the European Union. Okay. Um, if... There was a coalition government. Do you think you'd have got a cabinet position? Because obviously you've been representing Tory governments, well, Tories, since 1997. And I, I understand apparently that you are quite close to Cameron. Um, I'm not especially close to Cameron. I, I've known uh, him for 20 years um, uh, when he was a, a young researcher. Um, but he um, is uh, someone who... Uh, you know, has his own way of um, uh, selecting uh, conservatives for promotion. Nick Clegg has a certain quota of Liberal Democrats. But the truth is, um, I, I was a uh, on the front bench, a shadow minister from 2004 to 2010. Uh, uh, I was the uh, shadow minister for welfare for a while and for a longer period. Just be up until just before the May 2010 election, I was the shadow police minister, so I was the guy responsible reporting to Cameron about the police service and police reform. Now, I uh, resigned from that position just before the general election, um, uh, partly because I had uh, not very much confidence in my then boss, who was the shadow home secretary, uh, didn't see eye to eye with him at all, and had no desire... Uh, uh, if we formed a government to work with him. Uh, so it was very much my own decision. Um, I, I certainly have kept the door open to serving as a minister if it were at the right level and if it were in an area where I thought I could make a, a difference on the national stage. Uh, so um, there were quite a lot of Conservative shadow ministers who uh, uh, were binned or dumped to make way for Liberals. I was not one of them because I'd resigned before uh, the election. I have to say, before the 2010 election, I thought we'd get a massive overall majority. Um, yeah, and I thought there was going to be a Conservative government, no problem. The fact was uh, the Conservative Party in, uh, in March and April and beginning of May 2010 at the general election uh, made a... Uh, a series of poor decisions on how to run the campaign. And from a winning position, when we should have uh, controlled uh, uh, a majority, we didn't. Um, it was a hung parliament. And as I say, the coalition is not doing bad things. I, I, I think it's doing some good things. But on some critical areas like Europe, there is a lack of clarity because... Uh, the Conservative leadership yeah, and the Liberal uh, leadership are having to compromise, split the difference. Yeah. And uh, you know what they say, if you, uh, pe people who are middle of the road tend to get run over. <laughs> That's not a bad quote, actually. I might use that. Um, can we quickly rush through four more questions? Sure. As we are pushing through them, so quite quick answers. Um, Sheena asked, um, in regard to the recent riots through London and um, most of, well, not most of the country, some of the country, would smacking children or sort of like physical discipline, have prevented these riots because it would have kept the children more in line? Well, a, 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 lot of the, a, a lot of the rioters um, were uh, not 
children. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think the evidence shows a lot of them were late adolescents and young adults uh, who uh, uh, were, in many cases, people with criminal records already. So there were uh, career criminals who just went out on the streets. They weren't just the local public Uh, opportunists, there were some of those but uh, I believe the figure was up to a third of them uh, were uh, people who do crime professionally and therefore um, I'm not myself sure that uh, more firm uh, disciplining of young children would have actually uh, influenced uh, influenced, uh, uh, some criminals not to go out and uh, go on the rob. Okay, cool, thank you. (laughs) Um, this is an issue regarding employability and more specifically overskilled workers. Yeah. A friend of mine called James, he was made redundant two years ago, I believe, and since then he has applied for over 450 jobs. Good and he's been turned down, I know it's quite desperate, and he has been turned down for being overqualified, even though he's made it quite clear that he'll be quite happy to stay. And he asks, do you believe that there should be more rules in place to protect people who are trying to actually get into work but are unable to? Should there be like a forceful employer thing? Well, um, most employers um, uh, will look at the quality of a candidate and if if they are not asking too much in wages and if they've got the right skill set, it's in the interest of an employer to get good employees because that will help their their business. I'm not sure that you could uh, compromise that principle by saying that uh, uh, certain people must always get employed, in other words, that there would be a, a right against an employer to say to the employer, you employ me. I'm, I'm not quite sure how that would uh, work, but to your friend who seems to have uh, been in, you know, it must be quite demoralising to put out over 400 job Especially, applications. Yeah. Um, the, there are um, uh, uh, various uh, other courses he can pursue if he's drawing a blank 400 times it might be uh, that he uh, needs to go to uh, the job center or some of the private sector contractors who actually train up and teach people how best to present their cv how best to uh, uh, present themselves in an interview with an employer so there are um, uh, there is assistance uh, available and uh, and local job centers should have these details so that people uh, don't get into the position where they get 400 knockbacks, which must be absolutely dreadful. Mm. There are ways of representing oneself and uh, uh, going to the right uh, employment sectors where where jobs are being created, and not necessarily saying, um, well, this is not the job that I want. It might be you you take a job you're not very keen on, you know, to get experience, and then you can use that uh, to, after a period, apply for another job in a different sector. So that mm. what people need, I think, to understand is that that you know maybe you won't get your ideal job after leaving university. It may not be your dream job, but a job to get your feet under the table, to get into the world of work, will set you up to build on that and maybe get a more appropriate job, something more in tune with your own uh, yeah. skills. Well, um, just quickly, he has spoken, he has been to job centres before and he's got quite a lot of experience on his table and I think that's kind of where he was coming from. But right. we have two more questions, we might even only have time for one realistically now. Um, and this was asked, but I can't remember who asked it actually, but they mentioned gay rights, and I haven't researched this, but gay rights, you appear quite elusive about your views and how have these rumours surrounding your sexual orientation started? I think so. I'm not aware of those rumours and uh, my, my record on uh, um, 
civil partnerships. I voted for civil partnerships, uh, which uh, most of the Conservative Party voted for, uh, and I think my record is, is all pretty much out in the open. So he's uneducated in his question. Well, that was a waste of the last question. <laughs> Thanks, whoever it was. Um, so, what are your Fine, views that's on being... it. That was <laughs> the last one. No, what are your views on being 39th sexiest MP? <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously not, not uh, uh, 39 yeah, out of 650. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, I wasn't aware of that. I, I, someone mentioned it, but I, I've not got knowledge of that website. But uh, uh, I, I think that was men and women voting, was it? I can't, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, you've got a section where it's asked for men, asked for women, and then asked for mixed, and you've come up 39th on males. Right. Well, I, I don't know who, who did the website, but uh, I don't know. I, I heard about that. I, I don't have a view really. I, no I'm view. not really into that. Not flattered. I don't have a view. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you very much, David. Not at all. It's pleasure. Pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Well, that was the interview with David Ruffley, MP for Bury St Edmunds. I hope you enjoyed it, and if you saw what I meant about the questions he gave, sometimes you could sort of tell that his role was to answer questions like that. Um, I think it went okay. In the very short term future, I have an interview with Joe Craig, who is a child's author, or children's author, I should properly say, and that is going to be very exciting, I'm certain of it. Thank you all, also, I must mention this now, thank you all for downloading this podcast, and thanks for rating it on iTunes, if you have so, if you haven't, please do, five stars, it's amazing, obviously. Um, it is now showing five stars in iTunes, which is just phenomenal it's fantastic to think that i have got five stars in something hurrah um if you could leave like a short written review as well that'd be awesome although i don't feel obliged and please subscribe if you haven't thanks for downloading love you all goodbye